Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila. With us today are Michael Pratz and Cray Bolger. Hello, gentlemen and lady. Hello. Hello, brother and sister. Hey, do you guys remember that SNL sketch where like Kristen, it's a Kristen Wiig character and she gets super excited about stuff and she like can't keep the secret and she like pulls the sweater up over her face and stuff. Remember that one? That's how I feel about this like study. I'm, I've been waiting for this study since 2019 when I first heard about this like finding and they finally did it. They did the study that I wanted to have done to kind of prove that this is useful. For those of you that can't see, Jacob is wearing a very fuzzy pink turtleneck sweater pulled up over his face. It's my favorite sweater. It's what I wear to feel safe. There's a cat embroidered on it. Uh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so this study is entitled The Diagnostic Accuracy of Early Systolic Notching in Pulmonary Embolism, published in the Journal of Ultrasound and Medicine in 2021, May of 2021. And it talks about this finding called early systolic notching. Mike, do you want to talk about, or Cray, Mike or Cray, want to talk about how this finding is evaluated before we go into the specifics of the article? Not a bad idea. I can take this because I remember we covered this. And honestly, the best way to understand this is to check out the great graphic that Ben Smith made when we talked about this the first time. But long story short, you're going to be getting a parasternal short axis type view, but you're going to be fanning more towards the right side. Now you see like a circular image with the aortic valve in the middle and the right ventricular outflow wrapping around the outside. So all you have to do is find the pulmonic valve, put your pulse wave Doppler there, and you get a nice little waveform that shows the blood as it's flowing out of the right ventricle into the pulmonary arteries. And looking at that waveform, we're talking about if there is or is not a little notch in the first half of that. That would be called an early systolic notch. It's thought to be indicative of a proximal obstruction in the pulmonary arteries. Brilliant. I mean, that's that's a summary right there. And the, the one that we covered back in uh, 2019 is entitled a Doppler echocardiographic pulmonary flow marker of massive or submassive acute pulmonary embolism. And they uh, kind of coined this term early systolic notching. And we love this study. There was a couple of issues with the study. They excluded uh, patients with uh, known PE with a history of previous PE. If they had moderate valvular heart disease, known pulmonary hypertension, they excluded a lot of patients, which to me made it interesting, but not like as applicable to the emergency medicine kind of population. This study, the one we're talking about today really didn't exclude anybody and included patients specifically that they were worried about PE and they had CTs at the, as the gold standard. So what they did here is they included 183 patients from four different academic emergency departments. All of these patients got ultrasound and a CTPE performed, and they all had suspected pulmonary embolism. What I like is the EM scans were performed before or no more than 24 hours after the scan, which is good. Then a big thing that they did here is they didn't exclude hemodynamically unstable patients, which unfortunately a lot of ultrasound studies and studies in general will exclude the sickest patients, which is the patient that I care, like this matters the most in, in my opinion. And I should say, we're going to be referencing that initial study 
a bunch because these authors actually reference it a lot as they go through it because it seems to have really inspired their study. We covered that article November 2019 on ultrasound gel, so we'll link back to that original post too in our notes. All right. I'm not as excited about Jacob about this one, but (laughs) I think they did a good job with the study. So who were these people? I liked that part. There's attendings and residents. They had to have some ultrasound experience, but they weren't like only the gurus. Um, They had two hours of virtual didactics and they had to do 20 exams of this early systolic notching that then was subsequently reviewed by cardiology. So they did a good quality control And like I said, this seemed to be a pretty decent cohort of people doing the exams. Who and how and what did they find? Um, They had 201 possible patients. Um, They had to exclude 18 total. 15 of them were excluded for poor sonographic imaging, which anybody who's tried to find the pulmonic valve probably can relate to that, that it's not the easiest thing to find. Three of their patients were excluded for thrombolytics. So they had a pretty good capture where they got good views and were able to start using the data that they got. Um, That came down to 183 patients total. Their median age was 64, 50.3% of these patients being male. Their median simplified wells was two, so not like super high well scores in these patients. PE was present 52.5% of the time. So pretty similar to, I would say, if I think about like how many people I'm worried about PE and how many actually have PE, I would say that's pretty similar anecdotally to clinical practice and a very good prevalence of disease to say like, can we use this data? Of the patients who had PEs, a little bit surprising, I think, how big these PEs were. So I'm not sure like what they're doing uh, in Turkey, but These are really large blood clots. So 61.5% of those were bilateral PEs, 40.6 were in the main pulmonary artery. That to me is impressive. Like these are big killer clots that they're finding. Of these big killer clots, 19.7% had the early systolic notching. So of those 52.5% who had clots, 19.7 had early systolic notching. When we break that down, what does that mean? So the sensitivity for early systolic notching for finding PE is pretty low, 34%, but the specificity of it is impressive, 97%. That if you have early systolic notching, that the likelihood you're gonna have a PE, the likelihood ratio is 10, that's impressive. The negative likelihood ratio is 0.7. After they got those primary results, they did a subgroup analysis, and they kept using the terms high or intermediate high-risk patients. And I was like, what are they talking about? It turns out this comes from the European Society of Cardiology guidelines, and high and intermediate high are, in, in my mind, I use them almost synonymously with massive and submassive PEs, because what they're talking about is, is high or intermediate high risk of death. So these are like sicker patients. So the next thing they analyzed was in this subgroup of sicker patients, aka massive or submassive PEs, how does the ESN perform? So Craig, what happens when they break it down that way? So for sick people, okay, I'll buy into Jacob's like liking this for a hot second. So this is that patient population that you don't potentially want to or can't lay flat on your CT scanner because they're so sick and they're so dependent on their existing BQ match that if you change it, they're going to code, right? So those big clots that when you change their perfusion, down they go. 
um, and they don't come back easily. So they had a sensitivity of 69% for early systolic notching for PE in those patients with a specificity of 90%. Still not that great of a sensitivity. No, but like way better than the first round. So like doubled in sensitivity for the sicker patients. Um, and the specificity maintained its stronghold for the most part. If you find early systolic notching, there's a higher rate of having a PE, but subsequently a massive or submassive PE. So the ones we actually care about, not these tiny little distals in the periphery that the patient would probably take care of on their own. And so much better chance of finding that than in the patients who didn't have any early systolic notching. So it sounds like it was really specific, not sensitive enough for us to really hang our hat on. So what I liked about this study, I'm going to tell you the strengths, but I really want to get into limitations because I do have some concerns. So strengths, this was awesome in that it was prospective, multi-center. They didn't exclude people that could have other causes for this finding. So that was kind of nice. And they assessed the interrater reliability, which turned out to be actually really good. They had a kappa of 0.87. So that's nice to see and kind of speaks to the feasibility of it. But here's one concern I had. If you compared this to the prior article, they really have totally different questions that they're asking. The first article was asking the question, does the ESN identify submassive and massive pulmonary emboli out of all emboli? So can it really find the sicker subgroups of patients with a PE? This article, the way that it was designed, really is asking the question, can the ESN diagnose PE accurately in somebody that you're suspicious for a PE in. So it doesn't necessarily tackle the question of putting them into these different groups of sick PEs or not sick PE. And they did do that subgroup analysis, which I think is kind of like a reference to that idea, but it's still not exactly the same. So they reference this first one and try to show how their study is improving upon it. And it does add a lot to our knowledge of ESN, but it it's not the same question that they were looking at. The question that I'd like to be answered is early systolic notching predictive of a PE when you take like everybody with an echo. Um, like, cause we see similar stuff with the McConnell sign, right? If you look at McConnell sign in patients with a high pretest probability of a PE, the McConnell sign is pretty accurate. But when you look at like all comers who have it, it is less accurate, right? Because there's like random other things that can cause McConnell's. And that's kind of like what I want this to kind of figure out, or I want someone to figure this out is that how does this compare to like, if you're just doing an echo on someone that you suspect they have like left-sided heart failure, is this a way to say like, oh, if I see this, they are much higher risk for having a PE versus not. Um, so this is more good data and I'm excited the way they did this. And I'm excited about the fact that, you know, they didn't exclude sick patients and they had a lot of sick patients in this population. Um, but it'd be sweet to know how it stacks up against the other findings, like the McConnell sign, like the 60-60 sign, things like that. I think what we're asking for is this, like a lung point equivalent for PE. Like that's yes. really what we want somebody to give us that like, if I find this, I'm, I'm game to like Leister clot or Ecosu or whatever else under the sun. Right. And I just don't think we've found that yet, which is why I was like, eh, another like so-so study about PE. Like, and it was a great study, but it just doesn't change things. Now, maybe if I have a high pretest probability and I can't lay you flat and I see some right heart strain and I see early systolic notching, like cool. Um, and I think one important thing, which Mike and I were teaching with our residents the other day is remember a normal echo and absence of systolic notching and absence of right heart strain doesn't rule out a PE. 
it rules right. out strain from a PE, which I think is something important, especially if anybody's on the rant from SAM where they're like all these sonophiles and they're crazy ultrasound stuff. Like you have to talk to real people about real things. A normal echo doesn't rule out PE. And I think a lot of people like rest that a little too comfortably on that. Like, oh, I didn't see right heart strain. So it's probably not a clot. No, no, no. Yeah. So, I remind my residents of that all the time. Is that like, yeah, I understand that you did a, an ultrasound and you didn't see right heart strain, but the patient could definitely still have, you know, theoretically could still have a submassive PE. You know, it's not right heart strain is not hundred percent sensitive. Well, it depends on when we find them, right? Like if they right. got their pain an hour before they came there, it's like a single trope and out the door does not rule right. out ACS either. Like right. it's all about putting it into context. And so like, if I see early systolic notching, I'm going to feel like more confident in my diagnosis. And especially if I can't get a CT scan, I would probably empirically treat you plus minus lytics, but I don't, I want that test. I want the lung point for PE. And I don't think this is it yet. I totally agree with you guys. And if I could summarize a little bit what you both are, have been saying, I think if we talk about the sensitivity of the test, the sensitivity for this is poor. And that kind of parallels all of the prior research on right heart strain in PE. Like none of the signs of right heart strain are going to be that sensitive for picking up any type of PE because there's some, some small PEs that won't really show echocardiographic evidence of right heart strain. Now the best that they got in this in this realm is the study by James Daly et al. a while ago that we also covered on this podcast. We're looking at patients with abnormal vital signs. Now, if you look at abnormal vital signs patients, then they're probably more likely to have signs of right heart strain. So your sensitivity will increase there. And maybe the TAPSI is one of the better ones, although there's not been too many follow-up studies on that. As far as the specificity, I think our question that we're asking is, why would this be better than what we already have? Like, Jacob, you mentioned McConnell sign. I kind of see this as like a harder to do fancy McConnell sign. Like, it, it's cool to us because it takes a little bit of work. You have to use your Doppler. You have to interpret it. And that's fun for us ultrasound geeks. But it may not be that practical for others, especially if there's other signs that are easier and just as specific for it. So I think that's that's the next question. Like, like you mentioned, Jacob, is this going to have prognostic significance? And also, can we figure out if this is like a slam dunk? Once you see it, it's got to be a big PE or it's got to be some sort of PE that you can then, you know, lice or do some action with it. So I think that still needs to be spelled out a little bit. So let me summarize this. This was a prospective multicenter trial out of Turkey. They had 183 patients getting CT angiography for a suspected PE. The early systolic notching was 97% specific and not very sensitive at all for the diagnosis of PE. Our take-home points for this article, number one, early systolic notching as seen on echo is highly specific for the diagnosis of PE in this population. Patients that have a PE and the ESN are more likely to have other evidence of right heart strain, such as RV dilation or an elevated troponin. And this does show us that there was good inter-observer agreement for a binary interpretation of the ESN. Thanks for listening to us, and thanks so much to these authors for putting out this work and following up on a really interesting concept that continues to develop. So continue to look forward to more research on this topic. Thanks to you for always tuning into our podcast. As always, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org to find out more. And until then, we will talk to you later. More. Pressure. More. Challenge.